This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. He looked through temples of time to see you right where you stand. He emptied all of himself so he could reach out his
you, ladies. What a great truth. Well, we are uh, beginning our new series entitled The Runner. And um, I would just go ahead and ask you to open your Bibles to the book of Jonah. Um, The easiest way to find Jonah is to go to Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, about two-thirds through the way of the Bible, and then go left, seven or eight books, something like that, short books. Because if you start in the first book of the Bible, it may take you 10 or 15 minutes to find Jonah, especially if some pages stick together. Jonah chapter 1. By by the way, I don't want to embarrass you. Well, maybe I do. How many of you did read Jonah chapter 1? Thank you for doing that. Thank you for doing that. I, I really appreciate that. And um, let's just continue to kind of stay ahead and, and get it in our hearts and minds. That way, if I miss something, you will already have it by studying it ahead of me. Okay, let's begin with the time of confession. Uh, I've heard that confession is good for the soul, and I don't know if that's true, but, but, but they, that's what they say. So I'm going to ask you to confess. Does that make you nervous? I'm going to ask you to confess and raise your hand if, if between the time that you could walk and the time you got your driver's license, you ran away from home at least one time. And and before you raise your hand here, let, let me, let me kind of qualify running away. If as a little kid, you ran away as far as the end of the driveway or the end of the street, we'll call that running away. So how many of you will confess that you ran away at least once between being a toddler and a driver's license carrying teenager? May I see your hands, please? All right, that's, that's a bunch of you. Uh, now, from what I understand, my wife, and I got permission to tell this, so I'm not going to throw her under the bus uh, too much, but when she was a little girl, around five years old, she was notorious for running away. And I'm glad she got it out of her system before we got married. Uh, but, but according to her parents, as, as in almost every week, every two weeks, something like that, she would pack her little suitcase, and her little suitcase always had three things, had her lunch, had some food, had, um, had her doll, and had some clothes, and she would run away. Um, now, except for just on one occasion where she actually did go several miles down the busy road and she found a friend and her friend was just kind of following her along to make sure she was okay. But normally she would just go to the end of her street and, and she found out afterwards that her mom would, would keep a watchful eye on her from the window. But she was the runaway queen. Now, the, the thing about running away, and it would be fun to share our stories we don't have time to do that this morning, but it, it would be fun. The, the, the thing about most runaway stories between kindergarten and mid-teenage years is that it almost always stems from a conflict with the parents. Almost always. It's almost like we as parents just drive our kids nuts. We drive them crazy. And, and so they, they, they run away, at least to the end of the driveway, or maybe to the end of the street, until they need some money. And then, of course, they come running back. But but the interesting part about running away from home as a kid is that it's always it was always about the away part. It, it, it wasn't much about the two. 
In other words, you ran away, you got to the end of the driveway or to the end of your street, then all of a sudden you were faced with the decision of where to go. I mean, you hadn't thought about that. I'm running away, but where to? You hadn't really discussed that or thought about that. Now, here's another question. And this is where we're actually going with this. And don't raise your hand on this one, even though I think every hand would have to go up. How many of you have ever found yourself running away from God? Don't raise your hand. And this usually happens about driver's license time forward, doesn't it? You know, we run away from our parents between kindergarten and driver's license time, but we run away from God following the time that we get our driver's license. And most of the time, running away from God isn't like you pack your bags and go to the end of the driveway or to the end of the street or even someplace farther away, although that's what Jonah tried to do. But typically, our running from God is more like this. We face a situation and we know what God says about it, yet we don't do it. And what happens so that we can live with ourselves is that we sometimes kind of tone down our conscience. And you may or may not realize this, but but our conscience is like a thermostat. You can set it wherever you want it. You know, the saying that we've all heard and, and the, so many of us have said, you know, let your conscience be your guide. That is horrible advice. Terrible theology. Now, if your conscience is set to Scripture, then your conscience can be an aid and help you decide what is right and wrong. But, but you can't fully depend on your conscience because you can adjust it. You can ignore it. You can train it. It can become calloused. So don't swallow the advice of, well, just let your conscience be your guide. Change that to let Scripture be your guide. But anyway, to make ourselves feel better about our wrongdoing, we can tone down our conscience. But, but, but then sometimes also we slightly adjust our theology. And all of a sudden, we begin to interpret certain scriptures differently so they don't convict us as much. You know, I've seen people do that many times. They begin to violate scripture and all of a sudden they change their interpretation of that scripture and begin to make it and say, well, this is really a cultural issue back then and or they find some other reason to discount it, and, and so they slightly adjust their theology. Now, when we do that, we still believe there's a God. We, we still believe to some extent that, that we're accountable to God, but at that moment, we in essence run from God and prefer to do what we want over what God wants. Here are a couple of specific examples. Maybe you ran away from God into a relationship that wasn't right. You knew that God didn't want you involved with her, but you were thinking, hey, anybody can become a Christian, but not everybody can be with someone that hot and that beautiful. So you justified that relationship by saying, yeah, yeah, she's not a Christian, but, but I'll lead her to Jesus. And you ended up feeling so smart because you thought you had found a loophole around that scripture that says to not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Or, or maybe it was the other way around, and, and you ladies say, well, anybody can be a Christian, but not everybody can be with a guy who drives one of those. So I'm going to date him, and then I will so, sort of steer him and, and, and steer his awesome car to church. Or maybe you felt God was nudging you towards some sort of ministry, and you thought, no way am I going to suffer through preacher jokes the rest of my life. And by the way, uh, the only other profession I think that gets more jokes than preacher jokes would be car dealers. 
I'm sorry, car dealers, that you go through that. I, I think I know a little bit of what you relate to. And, 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 you know, this is not a pity party for preachers. After all, we only work one day a week. Um, at least that's what they say. But, but the reality is that the ministry is not a highly sought-after position. A few days ago when I came back from the Cayman Islands, I, I sat by a man on my Delta flight from, from Atlanta to Kansas City, and we were just kind of chit-chatting, and, and I asked him what he did. And, and, and he said, well, you know, I, uh, I, I, I do consulting. And, and, and I said, that's cool. And, and he told me the type of consulting that he did. And, and he said that with his job, he did a lot of traveling. And he went on and said that he had been in Jamaica the first week of December, which is ironic because uh, I, 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 I said, hey, I was in Jamaica that exact time, those exact days as well. And, and he went on and said, yeah, it's pretty awesome going to that part of the world in the wintertime. And, and, and he said, you know, my wife was a bit jealous when I texted her a picture of my sitting on the beach with flip-flops and a beer in my hand. Well, he wanted to know where I had been on, on this trip. And I said, well, I was in, 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 in Grand Cayman, and, and actually the locals say Grand Cayman. And... Uh, and just for your information, I did not text back a picture to my wife of my sitting on the beach with flip-flops and a beer in my hand, okay? <laughs> I didn't even go to the beach, and uh, I, I certainly didn't have a beer, okay? Uh, just set the record straight for those of you that are, are corrupt in your thinking. But uh, anyway, he said, okay, what, what were you doing <clears throat> in, in Grand Cayman? And, and I said, well, I was actually doing some consulting as well. And he said, well, that's cool. And and he said, what kind of consulting? I said, well, I was working with a church, which, which was true. And, and he just blurted out and said, well, are you a preacher? <laughs> I said, yeah. And his response was so typical. And, and, and Pastor Beckham, I'm, I'm sure you've learned this, but I, I've learned the responses when people find out I'm a minister. I've come to discover that everybody in the United States has a relative that's a minister. I'm serious. And, and when they find out I'm a minister, they will invariably say, well, my dad's half-brother's wife, son-in-law's second oldest child's twin brother is a minister as well. And, um, and so, he had, true to form, he had to tell me about one of his relatives that was a minister. Uh, but anyway, what's super interesting is that when he found out that I was a minister, the conversation changed from beer on the beach to barbecue in Kansas City. Just like that. And, and he was from Columbus, Ohio, and he had bad weather there in Detroit. They'd rerouted him to Kansas City. And, and, and so, uh, you know, he, he had to overnight in Kansas City. And so he hoped that he could catch some barbecue before they closed. But about that time, it was like our conversation came to a screeching halt. He took out his phone, put in his earbuds, and started watching a movie. Because it was almost like my being a minister had weirded him out. Our conversation just stopped. And so the truth is that, that ministry positions are not highly respected. And, and when God calls a young person into ministry, it's almost like they run and they say, Hey, hey God, people don't like ministers and, and ministers are weird and they're strange. And, and so thanks, God, but no thanks. Now, now, again, for these people that run from God, it's not that they no longer believe in God. It's not that they no longer believe in the Bible. It's not that they no longer pray. But they pray prayers like, Oh, God, help me fix this situation. Help my family. Help me to get that car. Help me to be able to afford a new smartphone. And, and yes, at times when they pray, they have a little twinge of guilt because they know in their heart they're running from God, but they keep on running. So for the next three weeks or so, we're going to study Jonah, the runner. Now, as we begin, I realize that there are some people who don't believe this story. They say there's absolutely no way that a man could be swallowed by a whale and survive for three days and three nights. And 
Well, if you have a hard time, and pardon the pun, but if you have a hard time swallowing this tale, let me assure you that this really did take place. Um, the city of Nineveh was a major city in Assyria around 750 B.C. And Jonah really did live. Jesus referenced him in the book of Matthew 750 years after this event. So the story of Jonah is not just an illustration. It's not just a parable. It's not fake news. And if you happen to be one of the ones, pardon me, that can't swallow this story of of someone being in the belly of a big fish for three days and three nights and, and surviving, it's okay. But let me give you something to think about, okay? Um, we as human beings have have created a way for small communities of people to live underwater for months and months at a time. Nuclear submarines, they go out. Sometimes they don't surface for over six months. So if you struggle believing that Jonah could actually live three days and three nights after being swallowed by a whale, think about this. If God could create us, who could then create a nuclear submarine that could allow a village of people to live underwater for six months... Maybe you could cut God some slack and say, God, maybe on your own, without our help, you could pull off three days and three nights. Just a thought, okay? Here's the story of Jonah. Jonah was a prophet. And prophets had tough jobs. Prophets were like the Navy SEALs or the Army Rangers of God's work. They were sent into very, very difficult environments to deliver a message from God that most of the time no one wanted to hear. Now, of course, growing up, we call those people our parents. But then once we became adults, every once in a while, God would still send a prophet into our lives and maybe say, hey, it's none of my business. And they would tell you something and you would think, yeah, you're right. It was none of your business. But they told you something you needed to hear. That's what prophets did. But Jonah was not just a regular prophet. He had an even more difficult job because God did not send him to the nation of Israel. The Bible is full of books uh, written by prophets who that went to the nation of Israel, and that was hard enough. But as a whole, people in Israel, they, they had the same theological framework. And so when a prophet would show up to, to like maybe King David or Solomon or some of the Old Testament kings, they would at least have the context of knowing about prophets. And they would say, oh, you're a prophet of God. You have a message from God. They might not follow what they said, but most of the time there was a little bit of respect. But God sent Jonah to Assyria, specifically to the city of Nineveh, where, where they had a completely different worldview. And, and they were not going to look at Jonah and say, oh, you're a prophet of God. We respect you. We can hardly wait to see what God is saying through you. No, not even close. Well, when Jonah got the word from the Lord to go to Nineveh, here was Jonah's reaction. He said, I don't like the Ninevites. So God, let's just skip the warning. Go straight to the judgment. These people are a pain. They serve false gods. They're a constant threat to our nation. God, why mess around with the warning? So why not just zap them, nuke them, smash them, destroy them, pulverize them, judge them? You don't need me, God. Just do your thing. Get rid of them. And the other thing that Jonah knew about the Ninevites that maybe you didn't know is that the gold medal, we're in the Olympics right now, but the gold medal that they won every four years in the Olympics, and and by the way, I'm just kidding about the gold medal part, but the Ninevites literally knew better than anyone else in the world how to skin a person alive. 
Seriously. The Ninevites had perfected the art of skinning alive their enemies and keeping them alive for long periods of time. And so Jonah was horrified when God said, I want you to go to Nineveh. Well, Jonah, like most of us would have done, he said, God, I really don't want to do that. I still believe in you. I'm not becoming an agnostic or an atheist, but God, going to Nineveh is too radical. And come on, God, it's not even safe for me. And you know the story where Jonah ran from God. So with that long, long introduction, let's jump into our scripture, Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, and I'll be reading from the NIV today. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. After paying the fare, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. Now, what's interesting is that when Jonah decided to run from God, he really ran. Take a look at the map here. Um, all right, here, here was Israel, right, right here. There's Jerusalem. So Jonah went to Joppa, that seaport right there. God had called him to go to Nineveh, right there in Assyria, which would have been uh, 550 miles or so. But Jonah took a ship all the way over here, headed to Tarshish which is Spain. Now, they say, and I did a little bit of research with this, they say it's around 2,500 miles from here to there, around 550 miles there. So if you look at Tarshish, clear over to Nineveh, you don't miss 3,000 miles by too much. And from Jonah's perspective, literally, Tarshish was the end of the world. He thought, well, God's called me there. I don't like them. They're nasty people. I'm going to head clear over here. I'm going to run from God. Now, having spent time with many runners, as well as having been a runner myself, there are several things that are common among people who decide to run from God. I think you'll relate. The first is that when people decide to run from God, they run to the strangest places. Jonah decides to run from God, so he gets on a boat and does the most dangerous thing he could do. He decides to travel by sea on a relatively small boat for 2,500 miles or so. Not a real safe thing to do back then. Which today would almost be like saying, okay, I'm an American. I'm going to run from God, so I'm going to go to Afghanistan. Or I'm going to run from God, and so I'm going to head to the top of Mount Everest. Or I'm going to run from God, so I'm going to go to Bass Pro and I'm going to buy a kayak. And I'm going to float across the ocean to North Korea. That kind of gives us a perspective of how dumb this really was. He, He ran from the one who created the sea. And he got on a boat that would be on the sea longer and go to the farthest distance you could possibly go, at least up to that point. You know, in my time as a pastor, I've met a lot of people who essentially have run from God and done some of the strangest things. And have you ever wondered why they do that? Here's the reason. Because because when we run from God, 
we run from the source of wisdom and truth. You know all those prophets in your life, people that say, hey, hey, can we talk? Can we have breakfast? There's something I'd like to talk to you about. And, and you're like, no, thank you. I'm busy. I'm busy. I'm busy. And your grandma calls. and You always love talking with her. But, but you know what she's going to say. And, and so you don't have time for her. And when we run from God, we run from the source of wisdom and truth. If you're a teenager, when you run from God, you generally unplug from youth group because that's a source of wisdom and truth. If you're an adult, when you run from God, you generally unplug from uh, you generally unplug from small groups because you don't want that accountability. And then you unplug from church. And sometimes you go searching for another church. Sometimes you just say, "Hey, I can't find a church that meets my needs." And you know, when somebody tells me that here in Eldorado Springs, with 16 churches in the city limits and and 42 churches within the driving radius of Eldorado, I say, "Come on now." You can't find a church that meets your needs or they will come up with this excuse. Well, you really can't contain God in a building anyway. You know, when you run from God, you unplug from the sources of wisdom and truth and you do dumb things. You make unwise decisions. And that's exactly what Jonah did. He, he ran to a place that absolutely made no sense, but he thought he could pull it off. Let me say something else under this point. When we're running from God, we think we're cooler, we're slicker, we're smarter. And even though what we're doing never works out for anyone else, yet we think our situation is different. And so it will work out for us. Newsflash, your situation is not different, even though you think it is. Newsflash, it won't work out, even though you think it will. Newsflash, you haven't found a loophole and outsmarted God, even though you think you might have. Well, then the next three words that we find in the text are so powerful. Verse 4, then the Lord. I mean, you can almost hear the music going, dun, 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 then the Lord. Then the Lord. Say it with me. One, two, three. Then the Lord. Say it again. One more time. Then the Lord, Jonah decides to run, then the Lord, and, and by the way, can I, can I let you in on a secret? When you're running from God, eventually you're going to have a then the Lord event in your life. And what was the then the Lord event for Jonah? Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. So the then the Lord event was a storm. Verse 5. All the sailors. Now, <clears throat> these are sailors who have done this many times. These are rough and tough sailors. They're not scared by storms on the sea. But it says all the sailors were afraid. And each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. So you know what this means? They're not going to make any money on this trip. The trip is now going to cost them. They're going in the hole because they had to throw their cargo, their profit, into the sea. But Jonah had gone down below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. And the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? In other words, dude, out of all the things you should be doing, sleep is not one of them. Isn't it obvious that we're about to sink? Isn't it obvious that we may never reach our destination? Isn't it obvious that you might die? And the captain says, get up, call on your God. 
Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. In other words, Jonah, we're having a multi-religious prayer meeting. The sailors are praying to their own God in their own way. Get up, pray to your own God as well. Maybe your God will make the difference. Well, the second thing that we notice about runners, they're often the last people to make the connection. What I mean by that is runners are often the last ones to see the connection between their decision to run from God and the chaos that begins to take place in their lives. You know, as a parent or a grandparent, as you watch your kids or your grandkids self-destruct and as they get involved with the wrong crowd or or as they begin to journey their journey into drugs, it's it's easy from the outside to see the connection between the decisions they make that go against God's will and the chaos that ensues. But but the runner is many times the last person to get it. This also means that if you're a father and a mother, the the chaos that we sometimes create in our home because of wrong choices, uh, you know, our kids Our friends, our pastors will probably see the connection between the wrong choices and the chaos long before we do. And as a runner, many times we will say, oh, no, no, no. You know, the hard times I've had is just bad luck. You know, why does bad luck always find me? You know, if I didn't have bad luck, I wouldn't have any luck at all. How many times have I heard that? You know, when we're running, we're very, it's very slow to see the connection between our decision to stiff-arm God and the chaos that will eventually come into our lives. So the captain says, Jonah, we need you to pray to your own God. And, and he wipes the sleep out of his eyes and he goes up to the deck and he joins the prayer meeting, but his prayer doesn't work either. And, and as a last-ditch effort, they resort to casting lots to see who is to blame for the storm. Now, this is not something that you should do, but in the Old Testament... When something bad would happen, and they did it different ways, sometimes they did it with stones, sometimes they did it uh, with, with sticks, but probably in this case, uh, what they would do many times is take different length sticks, and they would pitch them into a small area and see who it pointed to, and, and uh, you know, kind of what we do with rolling the dice or flipping a coin, and, and so these sailors who knew there was more to this storm than a high and a low pressure system, they cast lots, and And it pointed to Jonah. And they said, Jonah, who are you? What did you do? And in verse 9, he answered and said, I'm a Hebrew. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And this terrified them. And they asked, what have you done? And they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. So they asked, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down, calm down for us? And, And Jonah finally connected the dots. And he said, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. And I know that this is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. And and they said, we can't do that. You'll die. And they tried and tried harder to to keep the boat from breaking apart. But the storm got worse and worse. And, And finally, the Bible says they all prayed and asked for forgiveness. And in verse 15, it says, then they took Jonah, they threw him overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. Now, we don't know for sure, but by the wording here, it says the sea grew calm, which makes me think that instead of an immediate calm, that maybe the storm just gradually subsided, grew calm. I, I don't know. But, but anyway, I, I just was thinking this past week, actually a couple of weeks ago, I wonder if, if as the sea calmed, if the sailors were standing on the deck and maybe they were watching Jonah just getting farther and farther away and struggling to stay afloat and i wondered if as the sea began to calm if if they had second thoughts and maybe started asking each other should we pick him back up 
You know, the storm has subsided, so, we, so should we go get him and save his life? And I don't know what all went through their minds. But then in Scripture, <laughs> we run into this amazing phrase, verse 17, now the Lord. Now the Lord. First it was then the Lord. This time it's now the Lord. Let's say that together. Now the Lord. One, two, three. Say it again. If you're a runner, you may be the last to recognize it, but there will be some then the Lord as well as some now the Lord moments in your life. Then the Lord provided a storm. So now the Lord, what? Well, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And I love this next verse. From the inside, from inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. And in my mind, I said, I bet he did. I bet he did. It's amazing how then the Lord and now the Lord moments cause you to pray. And that's going to be our focus next week. But this leads us to our third point. Because in that moment, Jonah recognized something that every runner eventually learns. Runners discover they can run from God, but they can't outrun God. Did you hear that? They can run from God, but they can't outrun God. Jonah ran, but he couldn't outrun. He couldn't outswim the fish that God had prepared. And listen to this very thought-provoking scripture in Proverbs 3.11. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he gets mad at. No. The Lord disciplines those he wants to get even with. No. The Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. So what this means is this, the then the Lord and now the Lord moments were, are you listening? Were not to pay Jonah back, rather they were to bring him back. Had everything to do with the same reason that your mother and father went looking for you as a child when you ran away from home. They were not there to pay you back, but to bring you back because they loved you. Even if that moment you really didn't want to see them. You know, a boy named Andrew at the age of five or so ran away from home. He found out they were having spaghetti for supper. He did not like spaghetti. And he asked his mom if he could have something else. And, and she said, no, we're having spaghetti. Today, we would have gone to McDonald's to get Andrew a Happy Meal or fix him something separate. But the parents were old school. They were cruel. And you know, they said, you know, you're going to eat what the rest of the family eats. I mean, it's just such an outdated concept i just can't believe that old people were like that but so he ran away to the neighbor's house for dinner without telling his parents now if you're a parent you know the panic when you can't find your child oh and so they were searching everywhere finally they called the neighbors and and they said have you seen andrew and and the neighbor said oh yeah he's over here and, and he said something about not liking dinner and and so she said andrew your daddy is looking for you and And they heard this little sweet five-year-old voice in the background say, but I'm not looking for him. (laughs) Here's the thing. If you're running from God, you may not be looking for him. 
But your daddy's looking for you. Your heavenly father is looking for you. Not because he wants to pay you back. But because he wants to win you back. He wants to bring you back. And the reason I can say this with absolute confidence is because 750 years after this event with Jonah, God sent his only son in the world to completely pay for your sins. And so payback has been dealt with. And yesterday morning, and I do work more than one day a week once in a while, but yesterday morning, as I was reviewing this lesson in my office, when it hit me that payback had been dealt with, I burst into tears. I was by myself in my office and because I deserve payback. But that's been taken care of. From this point forward, it's win back. It's bring back. Because as a father disciplines his child, so your heavenly father will discipline you to win you back, to bring you back. Now there may be some here that you've already connected the dots. You've realized that your plans have not worked out. What was a fascination has become an addiction. What seemed like so much fun has become a nightmare. You finally connected the dots. You get it. My recommendation is before you go to bed tonight, go somewhere and tell your Heavenly Father, you know what? I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. I'm a runner. But right now I'm waving the white flag. And I surrender. I realize I can run from you, but I can't outrun you. I'm coming home. And I pray that this week, there would be a whole bunch of us that would just come running home. And too many times I think that whenever we run, we've got to run. You know, we think we've got to be like a Jonah and go so far away. But it's just, you know, sometimes we run from his ethical will. Sometimes we run from his financial will. And I pray that this week, beginning with me, all of us, we would make sure that we can say, I surrender all. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for this lesson that you gave us in Jonah chapter 1. And Lord, the lesson in Jonah chapter 2 is even more amazing. And I can hardly wait to share that next week. But God, I pray for those that may be running. Father, I pray that we would just come home. Thank you, Lord, that even though we may, may not be looking for you, as little Andrew said, yet you're looking for us. Lord, thank you that payback has been dealt with there at the cross, and now it's just win back, bring back. Lord, I pray that you would help us to come back. God, give us the strength to do what we need to do. Lord, as little Andrew said, I don't want to. And, but yet, Father, I pray that we would do that. God, give us the strength this day. So, Lord, I pray for those runners. And I believe there are some runners here today. I pray that they would find just that place of solitude. The closet. Maybe go out to the farm or go outside. Go to that favorite rock or tree. They would say, Lord, I'm a runner as Jonah. But I accept that you're calling me home and that we would come home.
Lord, we thank you for your presence. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We pray this in your name. Nobody looking, eyes closed. Is there anybody here that would say, Pastor, I'm not, I'm not a bad person, but I believe God has convicted me in some areas today. Would you just pray for me? Is there anybody to lift a hand? Thank you. I see your hand. Anybody else? Anybody else? Thank you. God, just be with us, I pray. Bring us home. We pray this in your name. Amen. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.